For the past couple days, uh, I've been feeling God lay on my heart a friend of mine, and uh, been praying about some things I felt maybe God wanted to speak to him or or do through him. And yesterday uh, afternoon, I talked to Rachel about it a little bit, and I said, I, I feel like I'm maybe supposed to pray for for Tyler, because he's coming into some new areas of ministry in his life, and uh, he's, not, he's not a pastor, he's not in vocational ministry, but he's involved in his church, he's involved at the camp, and what I felt God was saying to me, as I prayed through this, was... For what he's doing next, what God has put before him next, that he needs to be more equipped. He needs something, some gift that he doesn't have right now. But I had this idea in my head that it was something to do with some of the things that God has given me. He was calling calling Tyler too, and I, I was feeling like maybe I needed to pray with him. It felt a little bit stronger as the day went on, and then I got to the end of the day, and it's last night, and I have a three-hour drive to get back here, and once I got here, I needed to unpack the car and spend some time with my dog, because he misses me, and needed to, you know, go through my notes and organize my notes for the sermon and print a few things out, get things ready for church, and it's a three-hour drive, so I knew I couldn't stay too long, and so I was trying to get the car packed up and say goodbye to the kids because they're staying and they're there today. They've got their kids' program performance in church at camp and spent a, a few minutes with my kids before I left and still feeling like I needed to pray for them. Also, I had some other conversations I needed to have in pursuing those other conversations and talking to that other person. I actually walked by Tyler at one point thought I'll catch up with him later, didn't have time, wasn't too worried about it, set out on the road. I drive from the camp into the town of Johnson, through Johnson into Morrisville, through Morrisville and into Wolcott, through Wolcott, into Hardwick, and through Walden, and through Danville. This is what it's like driving anywhere in Vermont, by the way. It's just town after town. I get through Danville, I go to the quick stop, I get gas, I go inside real quick, I get on the road. I turn on to I-91 South, which then you quickly get on I-93 to come here. And as I get on that two-lane highway, I hear, not audibly, but I hear, where are you going? I say, going home. I have to preach tomorrow. I hear you forgot to do something. You missed doing something. Something along those lines. It wasn't an audible voice. And so I'm wrestling with this, and I'm wrestling with this, and I'm thinking, well, my wife is still there. I'm sure I could text or call her and have her pray with him, or I could text him and have him and say, I think that you need to pray about this. Why don't you go to Jeremiah or Rob, the other evangelist, and have them pray with you? And Not that I think there was anything special about me praying with him for his sake, but begin to think, well, maybe for the sake of my own obedience, I don't know. So I'm, I, I'm wrestling. I'm, I'm, I'm working through it. And there was a moment in the conversation where I 
thinking to myself, just pause and take a break, Eddie. It is, at that point, it was 7 o'clock at night. No, it was 7, 7.50. 7.50 at that point. Service starts at 7, goes to 8 or 30 or 9 usually. We won't do that this morning. We won't go that long. Thanks. 7.50, I'm over an hour away from camp. I know it's almost eight, It's almost 9 o'clock already, or it's almost 8 o'clock already. I've got an hour drive back. That puts me there at almost 9, even if it's a quick prayer. That puts me leaving at 9 plus. That puts me back at midnight or later. And I remember thinking, I have to preach tomorrow morning. I'm already tired. I've driven back and forth three times this week. I remember thinking, i got to preach tomorrow to the church that I've been given a stewardship of. My church really needs a pastor who's well-rested. And then I hear words just pop into my head. The church needs a pastor that's obedient. get off the highway, turn around, I'm going back, and I'm just, I just said, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to find a place to pull over, just pause for a second, I'm going to think about it, and then there was no place to pull over, so I just very legally pulled a U-turn in the middle of the highway, I'll look for a place to pull over on the way back, there was no short version, there's a lot more to the story that I'd love to share, but there's not time. Short version is, I eventually became convinced. I was, I was worried I was going to get there and like he would have left already or service would be over and I like drive by. It's always awkward when you pull up and park right outside the church after service is over because everyone sees you pull up after service is over. And I'm, and I'm like worried that's going to happen or he won't be there. And then I begin to realize that's definitely going to happen. It's definitely going to be awkward. And I'm probably going to have to go drive to his house or chase him down for the sake of obedience. And I'm okay, I've become okay with that. I'm okay with it not being climactic or, you know, I get there and he's like weeping at the altar just saying, I just need someone to pray for me. If only God would send someone to pray for me. And I march in and, and, I, and, I, and I come to terms with that, that it's not going to be that kind of moment. It will probably be the most anticlimactic, weird, awkward thing and I just need to be obedient. What ends up happening is I get there, service is still going on, because Jeremiah likes to preach. That's not true. God was moving in powerful ways when I walked in. I walked into the back. They just started to sing a little bit at the end. My wife had her hands up, eyes closed in worship. I just tapped her on the side for her to scooch over. She looked over, almost had a heart attack. I was very confused. Because I had left over an hour, or, or I had left two hours before that, and uh, I told her why I was there. She said Jeremiah is preaching on leadership. And he's preaching to the leaders of the camp and what they're going to do next. I said, "Oh, that seems applicable." And then Jeremiah started to pray, and the second phrase out of his mouth mouth was about the passing of the baton in leadership. And then I really felt it. To end the story, I grabbed Tyler. We went to the altar. We had a 
powerful time of prayer together. My kids were very confused, but very happy to see me. Had a couple other good conversations, and then left and headed home. Got back late last night. I say that for two reasons. One, because I'm very tired this morning, and it's apparent, and I've just been owning that. But I want to share a little bit of why I'm tired, and also to share a little bit of how God has been speaking to me. I've got a bunch of other stories I'd love to share, but we're going we're gonna to get into the Word today. And we're going to see what God continues to have for us. Let me pray for us before we get started. And then we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Father, in this place, reveal yourself to us. Through your Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May your words be spoken. May your truth be evident for us. And may all who come into this place leave with a greater understanding of who you are and who you have called them to be, myself included. We're not here to hear my words, but what you would speak, Lord. And we give ourselves up to that. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at uh, verse 17 primarily. I'll read 17 and 18 right now. If you get the e-news and read it, uh, which I highly recommend, you'll see I recommended reading through and having the whole passage in mind because we'll, we'll reference it throughout. Verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I'm going to stop right there. So Jesus gives this instruction, this clarification, and then he goes on to explain what it looks like beginning in 21 and give us examples. But before we get to the examples, so we have this verse. Jesus has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He has not come to abolish them. Now, like most things in our faith, our understanding of this passage is found at a balance point. Now, if I put a balance beam up on the stage here, maybe four inches wide and a couple feet off the ground, and I asked someone to come and walk across it, you can probably picture what they're going to look like, right? Who can, what, what is someone going to look like when they're walking and trying to keep their balance. What, is the, what, what do we all do, right? We put our hands out. I was waiting for everybody to just punch their neighbor in the face. Or we put our hands out because that gives us control of our center of gravity. When we are trying to keep ourselves balanced over a fixed point, the wider we have our hands, right, the more stable we are because we can control. If I start leaning one way, right, I can shift my weight, and we find the balance as the middle of two points. Sometimes we need to lean one way, sometimes we need to lean the other. And what I have discovered in years of reading and studying the Word is that so, so many of God's truths exist in that fashion. That He is a God of justice, he is a God of vengeance, but he is also a God of grace and love 
and compassion. He is a God of power and might that can do phenomenal things, but he is also a God who speaks tenderly and quietly. And you can't understand God truly without understanding those two opposite things. And we find the will of God so often, I would almost say exclusively, in some kind of balance. And we see this all the time. This is one of the reasons that we ha I believe we have denominations in the church, is that we together all give the image of God to the world. I don't believe that Nazarenes have a right on everything. I believe that I believe that we have we're the closest as I can figure, as I can discover. And I, I, I'm a Nazarene because we are often in that middle balance point. But I believe that there are things that we can learn from other denominations and traditions. When I see someone who seems so far off balance in one direction, I have to stop and ask myself the question, what is it that they're balancing on the other side? And is the reason that they seem so far away because I'm also so far from center. Balance. And this passage is no exception. It gives us, it, hidden in the midst of this verse, gives us what I believe is, is probably the most important dichotomy, balance, contrast in our lives as Christians and our work as a church. And that's the balance as stated in my sermon title in the e-news, between work, their word, there's the tiredness, the balance between word and wonder. Word and wonder. It's what Jesus talks about in this passage. He says, look, I know I'm saying things that are revolutionary, that are different, that seem like they're upsetting the status quo and the way they do things, but before you begin to believe that anything from the law of God is going away, let me clarify. I'm not here to get rid of anything. I'm not here to, to make it go away. I'm not here to contradict it. I'm not here to say it doesn't matter anymore. But what he says is I'm here to bring fulfillment to it. I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to make it what it is meant to be. Now, as we look at that word fulfillment, it's sort of a difficult one to understand. One of the, the meanings is just to basically to, to fill fully. Just switch it around. It means to fill up, like you're filling up a, a jar. Fill to potential. It means to make complete, which is the definition that I believe we, at least in our tradition, most readily grab a hold of. And that's the first thing that Jesus has come to do. Now, he also gives us two things that he comes to fulfill, which is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. The law being the instructions that God gave. The law being, in this context, primarily the identification of sin. Paul tells us that the law came 
not to fix us, but to show us what sin was, what it looked like, and how far we are from God. The law reveals and shows us what we need to change to be like God. So he's come to fulfill the law, but also the prophets, the prophecies about the Messiah, the prophecies about what the people of Israel needed. Now, the first way he came to do this, which is very important, is, of course, his death on the cross, which fulfills both pieces of the law and the prophets. He was the fulfillment of those prophecies. They, they spoke that he was going to come, and he came and embodied those prophecies, thus bringing them to completion. He also, in respect, according to those prophecies and in regards to the law, became the new perfect sacrifice, that we no longer have to offer goats and sheep and bulls and calves and all of these animal sacrifices because his sacrifice was paid for us. The need for that sacrifice was filled in him. And that's important. But here's where I think it becomes very dangerous for us as Christians that we often stop there. And here's the thing. Because he didn't come to abolish the law, we can live an Old Testament lifestyle now without contradicting the Word of God. That you could live completely according to the law right now, obey every law, and there's nothing you would do that contradicts the teaching of Jesus. You could live entirely without the power of the Spirit of God in your life. And there wouldn't be a single rule I could bring to you to prove that there was anything wrong. But we as a church are not called to live in the old covenant. We're called to live in the new. And there's a whole other piece of what Jesus is talking about in this passage, which he goes on to explain to us, that we can completely miss. There's another, there's another uh, definition of the word fulfill, uh, which is, the, the, the definition is to execute. Now, that's not the definition in our passage. The definition in our, pa in our passage, the way it's used in the Greek modifiers, are something even beyond, but execute is another way to read this word in certain contexts, which means to put into action. The, the, the Greek here is above all of those, and it is a complete filling, a complete fulfilling. It is essentially everything all together, all of the definitions together in one. So it's not just this fulfilling of prophecy, not just this image of filling up like a jar, it's also this image of execution, putting into action. It's like if you were to write a computer program, the fulfillment would be when you actually put that into your computer and run the program, start the software. It's You could build a motor and put it in a car. It's the turning the ignition switch. Execution. 
And that's what Jesus points us to. In, in, in this passage, he doesn't talk about the cross. He doesn't give examples about the prophets. He gives examples about what it looks like to fulfill and execute the law. And he basically tells us that, and this, again, this is what Paul echoes, that the law as it was given in the Old Testament was not complete. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't it. It was just the groundwork, the blueprints, the instructions of what we were meant to do. But in itself, it was ineffective. And he goes on to give us these examples talks about anger, lust, divorce, retaliation, loving your enemies. We're just going to look at anger a little bit, just as, as an image. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And he continues from there. He says, look, the law says, don't murder. It's a guardrail, it's a safeguard, it's a don't go too far. If you do this, you are absolutely outside of God's will. Refrain from this. It says, here's what a fulfilled law looks like. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. So here's my concern, church. I spent my whole life in the church. And more and more, I've come to believe and be concerned that there are many of us. There are many of us who are living as Christians, but we're living as basically Old Testament Christians with a different sacrifice. That we're living in the, the death, we're living in the, in the exhaustion, we're living in the depravity of the Old Testament where we can never do it and we're always fighting and we fight till the day we die to just hold back the actions of sin. I'm worried that there are Christians out there that the only thing about the Old Testament that God is truly fulfilling in their life is the sacrifice of Jesus. Which is a wonderful start, but it's not the life he's called us to. I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here saying, well, I know exactly who this is and I'm preaching it for you. Even if I were, it would be because I have nothing but love for you. And to any Christians who are struggling with that, I don't, I don't see them as, as failures. I, my heart breaks for them. And for myself, for the areas in my life where I've experienced this, and maybe I'm continuing to experience it. But what Jesus says is, don't just not murder the law is good. It's a baseline. It informs us. It shows us what sin is. But he says, look, what I'm calling you to do is live a life where you don't have to stop yourself from murdering someone. Where you're just not angry with them. That's what fulfillment is. The execution of the law, 
the execution of it, not just the following, not the using it as a guideline, the execution, the empowerment of it in our lives looks like you don't just refrain from murdering someone or doing whatever it is on the list that you know you're supposed to do or not do, but that you're not even angry. That we're, when we're at that point where something happens to us and we have to grit our teeth and just fight through it and say, don't say anything, don't blow up, don't start a fight. When we're trying to bottle the anger up within us, we are essentially living in the wrong covenant. We're essentially living the way they lived before Jesus came and before the Spirit was given. And God wants to set you free from that. God wants to set you free from that. This is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of hope and freedom. You'll never hear me preach a message that says being a Christian is easy. You'll definitely never hear me preach a message that says ministry is easy. You'll never hear me preach a message that says following God is going to be pain-free. Because that's not, that's not the case. But we were not meant to struggle and fight every moment of our lives just trying to hold ourselves to the standard of the law. So how often in church, how often in our lives, are we failing to live in that fulfillment of what God called us to do and to be? So what we understand is this, that both are important. We need to be grounded in the word. We need to understand the law of God. And this is why Jesus is so clear that he didn't come to abolish it. He says, look, it is not going anywhere. We need to understand the life God calls us to and what it looks like and how to identify if we're living in it. But if we stay there, we are living such an unbalanced Christian life. We're so out of balance with who God has called us to be. We need the wonder of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about necessarily signs and wonders. I'm not talking about, well, let's get balanced. Let's, let's try and make some miracles happen. Let's try and do spectacular things. I'm, I'm just talking at the very beginning about what happens to you and makes your neighbor say, I wonder why they're not grumpy anymore. I wonder how they can have that sort of attitude in the face of adversity. That it is wondrous how you can do the things you do. That it's wondrous how when someone who knows you hears your story and your history, hears the abuse that you have suffered and walked through, they say, I don't understand. I want, how are you standing here? As a Christian, you're called to live a life that doesn't make any sense. You're called to live a life that doesn't make any sense. That 
without the power of God, there's just no other explanation. And hey, I know you can get unbalanced this direction just as easily. And every single one has a story about a church. I've got stories of plenty that are here. My parents were raised here. Both my parents were raised in very, very fundamentalist churches. I didn't see my dad raise his hands in worship until I was 18 years old, probably. Not that that's like the only indicator, but it's an example. My parents were both, and so my early childhood, I was taught a lot of out of this. And I've experienced this as well. I'm sure you have too. Or it's just all about the wonder. No accountability with no grounding in scripture. We get carried away. We've seen that too. The most dangerous thing is when we run from one so far that we become part of the problem. So this is, I believe, the call for our church. This is why I am a part of what was formerly known as the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. Because we are a church that is deeply rooted in the word, in accountability, in structure. But we are a church that also believes in the power of the Spirit to transform lives and do mighty and powerful things. When we walk in the middle of that road, we walk in the kingdom of God. Word and wonder. I gave this example uh, with our uh, NMI board on Thursday night. Friday night, I was back in Vermont. Rob McCorkle was preaching. He gave the same example in his message. I walked up to him after and said, you must have stolen my notebook because you used three of my sermon illustrations in your message tonight. And I shared with him what I had shared, and he I think, uh, I think about a lot. And this is my wife. My wife convicted me of this. I didn't come up with this one. Because this is an example of how I was stuck in law. But my wife and I talked about what does it look like? What does it look like to go to a restaurant the way Jesus goes to a restaurant? The way I picture Jesus going to a restaurant is this. He gets there and he has to wait for way too long. He gets passed over and he's just good with it. And he goes and he sits down at the table. Waitress comes over. She's not particularly polite. Kind of rude really short he's just starting to get pumped up takes forever with the drinks gets the order wrong spills something on him and he's just he's loving it takes way too long to get the check overcharges him brought the wrong meal didn't offer to comp it and gets to the end he gets the check and he's so excited Here's why. So when he sits down and he fills out that little piece of paper, and he tips 40, 60, 
100%. There's no other explanation than grace. But there's no other explanation for why he did it. There's no other reason than that he loves that woman, he loves that person. And he wants to bless them. That he gets excited about opportunities to show the power of the Spirit. You say, well, Jesus was a poor carpenter. How could he afford to do that? I think he eats at cheaper restaurants. And Rachel and I emulate that. If we're going out on a date, that's one of the things that we consider is, if God calls us to tip heavy, can we afford to do it? And we adjust our standards of eating accordingly. Not because of us. That's what I see. That's what I, that's what I see him doing. And you know what? I can, take that, I can take that situation and I can put it in this passage. Here's how it sounds. You have heard it said, tip 15% if the service is adequate, and a little more if it's exceptional, and if it's terrible, you're fine not leaving anything. But I tell you, give unconditionally. Give more to those who treat you poorly, and take every opportunity to bless those who are in need of the kingdom. Because that's where I was. That I would say, look, I'll never, I'm not one of those guys that doesn't leave a tip. Because those, I mean, there's people that'll do that. They'll come in, they'll get great service, tip nothing. And then just head out. I'm not one of those guys. I follow the rules, 15%, maybe a little more. If they're nice, if they earn it. I'm not telling you what to do. And I apologize if anybody's got lunch plans today. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm not judging you for what you do. I'm just... See, my philosophy is, why just go out for lunch? Why just go out for dinner when I can go out to a ministry opportunity? I'm not talking about preaching from the dinner, just, just loving people. See, that to me is fulfillment of the law. Not, oh, well, we should probably give a little extra this or that shit, you know, I, you know, well, we give 10% to the church, and we give extra here, and, and I always put my change in McDonald's in the Ronald McDonald house. We give. They're all good things, but, but fulfilled, empowered. Not living a life where we're just constantly tell ourselves to stop doing the things the law tells us to do, but seeking God for healing and deliverance from whatever within us is pushing us in that direction. And I'm not, we're not even talking about sin here. This isn't even really a sin discussion. That's law. When you act, that's... Even before that, God wants, this is just deliverance for you. This is just, stop living, gritting your teeth. Stop living in exhaustion, just trying to keep up with the standards. 
find some rest from the effort. I'm going to ask Beth to come on the piano. I'm going to ask Beth to come because we really need to pray for her. Ask Beth to come in and play for us. I'm gonna um, to Pastor Isabel. Oh, there you are. I'm gonna ask Pastor Isabel to come. If there's an area in your life, I'm not. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you don't have the Spirit of God. I'm not saying that God hasn't done powerful things in your life. If there's anywhere in your life where you say, I need the Spirit open and flowing more in this area. If there's an area in your life where you're saying, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that through effort. I'm muscling through that with my own strength, trying to make sure that God is happy with me. If it's weighing on you, if it's holding you down, if you want freedom from that, if you want fulfillment in whatever that area is, then I invite you to come sit in the front, kneel at the altar. We're going to anoint you and pray for you. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we uh, we're so grateful. That you not only reveal yourself to us, but you empower us to be more than we, what we could be on our own. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that you give us. I thank you for the freedom that I've witnessed this week throughout camp. As people have washed away and experienced you washing away trauma, addiction, pain, hopelessness. And Father, sometimes you call us to walk hard roads. Sometimes there's things that we need to wrestle with in our life and with, in our faith. And I pray that you give us the wisdom to know the difference between a desert that we're walking through for you to shape us and mold us and, and when we're just stuck in the old covenant. May we be a church that is full of your spirit that is open to what you would do in and through us. May we live fulfilled lives in you. Jesus, surely your presence is in this place. Lord, only when I'm in your presence, only when I feel your spirit, can I be so excited 
about taking a trip where the destination is so unknown to me. Jesus, I don't know where you're leading me as a husband, a father, as a pastor. Lord, I know it's going to be good. I know that if I open myself up to you, that wonderful thing is a weight. Perhaps impressive, perhaps not. Perhaps full of energy and excitement, and perhaps not as well, but full of goodness, full of power, and full of love. Lord, may we as a church, above all else, be obedient and open to the movement of your spirit. I'm excited about what you're going to do in this place, in these people, through these people. We know it doesn't it doesn't look like what we've probably come to expect, whatever that means. But Jesus, we are so excited for you to work in our lives. We're so excited to see what we can do today to love one another, to love our world. May we be your church this week, Lord, we pray.